You can't come with us. We're on a quest. Can't I? Ask her. Never! I, Schmendrick the Magician, forbid it! And be wary of rousing a wizard's wrath! Rousing a wizard's... Be wary of making a, a magician angry! Hey there, enthusiasts. Welcome back to the Real Hero Talk podcast. I am your host, Judge Greg. Joining me today in the hallowed halls of Hero Talk, I have host of the Behind the Line Radio podcast, Kinetic, also known as Nick, and making a triumphant return to Hero Talk, I have 60. Welcome back to Hero Talk. Hey. Hello. All right. So today's film... uh, Today's film. Okay. Today's film was a suggestion from, from Nick and... Uh, it's The Last Unicorn, the 1982 uh, fantasy animated Rankin and Bass film. Nick, was this was this payback for RoboCop? Is this Are you getting back at me because I made you watch RoboCop? Because I thought RoboCop was going to be a good movie at the time. <laughs> yes, uh, that would be a part of the motivation. Yeah, holy cow. Um, so... Just think, <laughs> I, 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 I still owe you for Ultraviolet, too. Oh, good. You know what? Ultraviolet wasn't as bad as as maybe we made it sound like. There were good parts to it. I still owe you. Yeah, all right. I'm just trying to think what the good parts were, (laughs) you know, besides William Fickner. Other than that, uh, I'm sure they were there. I can't remember. I don't know. I like Mila Jovovich. She's talented. I mean, I didn't see any of that talent in that particular film, but she's talented (laughs) in general. I've seen her in some of her other stuff. All right, so The Last Unicorn. Now, I when when this was suggested, I, I think I had remotely heard of this thing, but I, I just thought, like, I don't think I have ever seen this movie in my entire life. And, and nothing seemed familiar. I watched the entire movie thinking, like, what is this music? What is up with the butterfly? And it wasn't until I got to about three quarters of the way through the movie when Molly Grew was telling Prince Lear how to cut a potato that it occurred to me that not only have I seen this moment, this this movie, but that instance where Molly Grew was telling the prince, you know, how to cut and cut away from your hand, not towards it. Every time I have handled a knife in my entire life, that little moment has played out in my head in terms of, wait, how am I cutting? Am I cutting towards my hand or away from it? So, I mean, I guess in that way, I owe this movie, you know, a debt of gratitude for not slicing up my hand at some point in my life, I suppose. But uh, that was literally from whenever I watched it the first time, and I couldn't tell you when, that was my only takeaway from this movie, is proper safety when cutting potatoes. A a strange aspect of that, to kind of jump around a bit with the topic, one of the themes in the story is memory. There's, uh, oh, what's her name? The Mommy Fortuna. She Mm -hmm. wants immortality by making the immortal harpy remember her. There's... Uh, Amalthea, who starts to forget who she is. There's uh, Haggard, who is fixated on his memory of seeing a unicorn. So that's this movie stuck in your memory, and there's its immortality for you. So, so Nick, 60, do, do you guys actually like this movie, or was this really just about my punishment? <laughs> I love this movie. Really? Yes. Wow. Okay, okay. Um... Why? Um, well, it's like one of my earliest memories from childhood was watching this movie. And I think it was like the first movie that I ever watched that captured my imagination when I was a kid. 
So okay. even watching it as an adult, I, I I tend to forgive all of its flaws because, you know, I, I loved it so much when I was a kid, and I still love it. Yeah, that I can see. I, I just, I mean, in terms of, when I think Rankin and Bass... I I've, I of course always think of their uh, their um, Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings series. Uh, this and I think this came after all of those. If I'm if I'm remembering correctly, I think they did those earlier, and this is kind of later. Uh, the the animation style is definitely there, but I just I don't remember. Did this thing really get like I'm seeing the box office was you know six point five million, which is you know not bad for a. Uh, you know, for for a small niche animated film, but was this obviously I had seen it once, you know, because knife safety is important to me. But I, I is this like a cult classic? Does this get a lot of air and playtime? I mean, I I just happened to catch it on Netflix, but does this has this movie been around and like is there like some? I guess what I'm asking is, is there some sort of weird Firefly-like cult following of this that I'm going to inadvertently anger during the course of Hero Talk? I'm not sure that the term cult classic, as you would think of it, would apply. Another word that comes to my mind would be underground, but I, I cause, cause it does have people who, cause it's based on an original book and, and there's people who just are diehard, uh, uh, enjoy the book. And in fact, um, I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but apparently like Jeff Bridges, his voice acting, he enjoyed the story so much. He, he offered to do it for free. Uh, oh, really? Christopher Lee uh-huh. uh, loved the book so much. Like, he got the part, read the book, loved it so much. He came in. Uh, the band that did it loves uh-huh. it, uh, the, who did the soundtrack. Um, hell, one of the guys from Game Grumps and uh, uh, Starbomb uh, in, uh, loves this movie, too. So there's there's people out there who just are diehard uh, supporters of this. Yeah. So, fun fact about Christopher Lee, uh, he also voiced Haggard in the German dub of this movie. Yep. There you go. And uh, he he apparently, uh, when the author of the book uh, called him to wish him a happy 90th birthday, he said something to the extent of, uh, um, if by the time you get around to making a live-action adaptation, if I've passed away, don't worry about it. Uh, I've risen from the dead before. I know how it's done. <laughs> All right, so let's let's roll into the cast. I guess. Well, I guess Nick, I didn't ask you. Do you do you like this film, Nick? Yes, with some caveats. So yes, asterisk is what we'll call yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. If you had to put me down on a yes, no, I would say yes. Okay. But uh, I, I I recognize, as sixty said, there's definitely flaws in it. Mm-hmm. If you're going to take it on a couple things here, I would say it's always worth listening to Christopher Lee's voice. That part's awesome. Well, yeah. Uh, it's it's a novelty to see a very young Jeff Bridges or uh-huh. here in this he, case. He didn't even sound like Jeff Bridges. No, no. When I when I saw this movie the first time, I was struggling to figure out which character he was supposed to be. I <laughs> I, then, I looked it up because at some point to when they finally got the Haggard's castle, and I remember thinking like I think I'm out of characters. One of these people has been <laughs> Jeff Bridges. So I, <laughs> I went and looked it up because I just I did you don't you don't Prince Lear does not sound like a young the dude, you know? No, no. Uh, he, he, he doesn't even sound like a young Flynn from Tron. I mean... <laughs> he does not. Uh, but on top of that, of course, there's the animation, mm-hmm. which is pretty pretty good. Uh, uh, it has a bit of the Rankin-Bass, like, people are talking, so they have to be moving. and <laughs> yes. Particularly the unicorn, but mm-hmm. when she's not talking out loud, she's thinking, so there has to be motion, so she's doing these weird, you know... Not, the the motion doesn't quite make sense. It really doesn't look like anything a, a horse would do, but well, see, it's still... 
I hmm? liked that. I liked that at least for the unicorn because it it makes the unicorn look like strange. You know, like it's like, not a horse. Yeah, it's not a horse. It's this strange magical creature. And it moves and behaves strangely. So I kind of liked that. Yeah, I actually sort of like that on the unicorn, too. I, I definitely saw things that were right in the wheelhouse of what movies were around then. And, the, I mean, in terms of a, a fantastical tale, this is certainly that. And there is not to constantly be bringing up Tolkien, but oftentimes whenever we have a story that involves fantasy, people just like to sort of just plant themselves in J.R.R. Tolkien's backyard and have a little camp out there. So I do have a certain appreciation for fantasy that is not constantly the exact same thing over and over and over again. And mm-hmm. to, to give this movie credit uh, and the book credit, uh, this is not the same fantasy over and over again. This has its own lore, its its own way of doing things, its, its own fantastic beasts that they've taken from from various mythologies and and put in here and for the sake that it was something new i appreciate that and i i enjoyed it uh i did not enjoy the butterfly and i i think i need to mention that as many times as possible the butterfly i I don't think anyone enjoyed the butterfly the butterfly breaks immersion the butterfly made too many current pop culture references for 1982 yeah. To the extent that now I have to question, when does this movie take place? Is this some sort of post-apocalyptic <laughs> thing where the butterfly's been around and, like, you know, heard some of the old radio waves from the before time? Like, that's, you know, and I maybe thought too hard about the butterfly. Well, where is this anyway? Apparently, just off the coast, there's narwhals. There's narwhals. There's somehow they got a chimp, they got a lion. There's just Asian dragons just in the forests, I guess. <laughs> I don't know where they are. Yeah. Uh, I, it, okay, again, I'm thinking way too hard about it, but uh, I just didn't like the butterfly. But as long as we're talking about the butterfly, butterfly was voiced by Robert Klein, who's uh, he's been in a ton of movies. I don't know if I really want to talk about too many. He was in Rain Over Me, which I mentioned simply because I that movie introduced me to Shadow of the Colossus. Is that the name of the movie, the game, right? Shadow of the Colossus. Yeah, yeah. That was my that was my first introduction to that game. Was uh one of one of the aspects of Adam Sandler's character in that movie is that he was constantly playing that game over and over and over again. Uh, other than that, he was in Sharknado Two. <laughs> And apparently he was in Sharknado 3. I have not seen any of the Sharknados, by the way. Maybe someday we'll have to do a a uh, some Asylum movie. If we were going to do an Asylum movie, I'd recommend, um, uh, what was it, Abraham Lincoln versus Zombies. Yes. Oh, uh, that was the, the playoff of the uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so that was, as long as we're talking about that movie... Why not? Just go off on a tangent. It's what we do here. Yeah. Do you know, out of all the movies that I have that I decided to redeem the Blu-ray code, that is the only one where the code actually expired? <laughs> all Out of all of them, because I only very recently, I say very recently, like two years ago was when I finally decided I should start redeeming some of these codes. So I went and grabbed codes out of my old Blu-rays and started redeeming them, and the only one where the code had expired was Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. And it only it was only like past the date, you know, the this might be expired by date, by like six months when that happened. Huh. It's like wow, I've I pulled movies where I was three years after they might be expired by date and it still worked. Do you know what's funny? Like that movie was terrible, but uh I read the book and the book is actually pretty good. I've heard the book is really good. Like and it's not something I ever would have picked up normally because I'm like, well this looks stupid. But 
I remember it was a day that I was at school and uh, one of my classes got canceled. So there was this long period of time where I didn't have anything to do. And I was like, I didn't have a book with me. So I went to the bookstore and among like Hunger Games and Twilight books, there was this one. I was like, well, seems like the lesser of the evils here. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I picked yeah. it up and I read it. And it, yeah, it, the book is really good. Well, maybe I'll give the book. I think I actually have that book now that I'm thinking about it. I might have actually bought it. You know, I've actually read the Hunger Games. I'm not proud of that. I did too. I, uh, it was. I liked. I liked the first one fine, and then it just got like really terrible as it went on. I I had a gross misconception of what that book series was going to be about. the The concept when I read it was, I thought it was going to be some combination of the Running Man and Battle Royale, <laughs> and and it turns out it's was really mostly about a love triangle and you know the child death games were sort of in the background yeah. <laughs> a little bit like the pearl harbor movie a little bit like the pearl harbor movie like hey pearl harbor's in this movie <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right but anyway so let's let's wrangle it on back to the last unicorn and i i'm we'll just go in the imdb order of cast here so schmendrick who was a a I hate to call him a failed magician because he actually did some pretty, pretty decent music or uh, magic in this, but he, he didn't really seem to have the best control over it. He really was just sort of, I, I, I don't know. He just he wasn't a, a very conduit. good, but yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. He's described in the in the synopsis as being an incompetent magician, and that just felt mean. I'm like, well, he's not incompetent. He recognized a unicorn right away. He was able to, you know make her escape he had turned her into a human to protect her from the red bull and then was able to turn her back when he when he needed to he conjured robin hood so let's not call him incompetent <laughs> but he just yeah it the, was the way the way tv tropes would describe this is strong but unskilled sure we'll go with that anyway so he's voiced by alan arkin and we we obviously cannot list everything alan arkin has been in because holy cow but uh some of the big ones my my personal favorite role that he was in was in argo or he played uh lester siegel ah. who's one of the producers of the fake movie argo and i i actually really liked him in that movie i like that entire movie so i liked him in that uh he's been in he was the chief in get smart which is uh uh we, we see that together nick yeah we did that was that was the one where we went in with really low expectations and were floored with how hysterical it was and years later you said you had got it and watched it at home and i and i had to ask you is it was it really that funny or was it just the perfect <laughs> thing for both of us that day yeah it, it's it's not as funny, although some of the jokes are they work only because you weren't expecting them to pull that joke from the series and and put it in where that where it was. When you know they're coming, it's not as funny. But I will I, I will still say that that Steve Carell is hilarious and he was really funny in that. And so Alan Arkin was the chief, also really good in that movie. Uh, let's see, he was in Santa Claus Three: The Escape Clause, which. I don't know. A career-defining role, if ever there was one. Uh, it was it, enough to be mentioned on Hero Talk. I'll tell you what. Uh, Alan Arkin's one of those names that, for, from my end, like I, I, I recognize the name. I always recognize the name, and I just have he for some reason he's someone who I have trouble recognizing and remembering. Yeah, I it, honestly, until Argo, I really would have trouble trying to put a face to the name. But after Argo, I can picture him directly. But then I'm trying to think, like, he, I, I want to say he was popular in some old TV show, but I keep looking to see, like, well, what show was that that he would have been in that I would have really remembered him from at Nick at Night or something, and I, I can't find it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's been in, he, he's had bit parts in shows, but he's just one of those guys who's just in a ton of stuff, and he's, I mean, he's a character actor. Maybe maybe you're 
think maybe you're getting it mixed up with Alan Alda and MASH. You know, I, I think there was a, a point where I thought that was happening, but I could have sworn I knew Alan Alan uh, Arkin from something. But it is it is very difficult. Be prior to Argo, if you had told me who Alan Arkin is, I would have described Alan Alda. So, oh, it's the guy from MASH. Yeah, he's funny. Like, no, different different guy. But So Alan Arkin played Smedrick. I mean, voice is totally different. Another person I did not recognize from it until I had to check. I was actually looking to see, was Jeff Bridges Smendrick? And they, no, that was Alan Arkin. Like, well, what do I know then? <laughs> that was the same reaction I had. I was like, hey, Jeff Bridges in this one. Who is he? God damn it. He <laughs> <laughs> doesn't, everyone sounds so young. Even Mia Farrow I didn't recognize, and she's got a very distinctive voice. If it wasn't for the fact that Mia Farrow was a huge name and the unicorn would have been the titular role, I would have never been able to put two and two together. I would not have heard that voice and say, oh, that's Mia Farrow. I would have said, you know, who's playing this? But since I was able to meta the game a little bit in order to uh, to figure out Mia Farrow and who she was, but uh, in a vacuum, not a chance. And hell, I couldn't even recognize Angela Lansbury. Uh, you know what? I didn't know Angela Lansbury was in this movie until, like, way towards the end, and I'm trying to think, have I just not seen her character yet? What's going on? And then I, f- <laughs> and then, so I check it. And Angela Lansbury's mommy, Fortuna. I'm like, I, I don't hear it. And I actually, at that point, I went back to the mommy, Fortuna scenes because I said, I'm going to keep watching this until I hear it. And <laughs> and eventually I was able to pick it up. But I mean, you have to understand, my, given my current cinematic exposure, Angela Lansbury and Mrs. Potts are sort of the same person in my head. And it's very hard to imagine <laughs> her as anything else. I have heard her sing Beauty and the Beast over 200 times. This calendar year. <laughs> so, hey, so yeah, we might as well jump to her. Angela Lansbury was Mommy Fortuna. Everybody knows what Angela Lansbury is from. She's from Beauty and the Beast and Murder, she wrote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Jeff Bridges, we've mentioned him a couple of times. So he was the dude from The Big Lebowski. Uh, he was Kevin Flynn in Tron. And he also played Clue in Tron Legacy, which uh, was not okay. the masterpiece everyone thought it was going to be, but still wasn't a bad movie. It was entertaining. Yeah, he was also uh, uh, Cogburn and True Grit and oh, yeah. all kinds of stuff. His, Crazy I normally heart. don't like Western remakes, and I, I say that knowing full well that I like 310 to Yuma, and so I will admit that it's not a, a hard, fast rule, but I liked his True Grit better than the original True Grit. And, oh, yeah. And I don't say that lightly. I, I don't speak ill of the Duke, but this was better. The Duke versus the Dude? The Duke versus the Dude. <laughs> Wow. Somebody uh somebody called superhero beatdown. We'll see if we can get that. <laughs> Hell, there was already a nostalgia critic old versus new for that one. I don't know if he built it that way, but No. That's how he should have. That's gold right there. If they if he didn't do it, then that's on him. Yeah. That's actually that's a good just, billing. That's leaving money on the table. We should do a hero talk on true grit and specifically just call it Duke versus Dude. <laughs> I'm down. I uh, why not? I need to rewatch the uh, the old one again, but yeah, I like the new one. He's uh, he was a uh, he was an Iron Man too. He helped kick off the Marvel oh, yeah. Cinematic Universe. Yep, as, uh, that was uh, Obadiah Stane, Obadiah the Stane. Ironmonger. Yeah, which was a uh, and he had one of the most iconic parts of that movie when he yelled uh, with a box of scraps. <laughs> yep, I, in I, a cave <laughs> with a box of scraps. I at least once a month quote that to somebody in some context somewhere. <laughs> Usually when somebody says, I don't know, we don't have the resources. And I'm like, Tony Stark <laughs> built one in a cave. And then you give the pause until they start their sentence again with a box of scrap. 
Uh, unfortunately, not much of that charisma was present in this movie. You got a little bit of it, but I, I know. It was not I mean, fully formed yet. Well, I mean, Lear's a pretty boring character anyway, so. Yeah, it, it it was actually it's a little bit below him. I don't know when he actually recorded, but I mean, like he, this came out same year as Tron. So yeah, I, maybe maybe it was yeah he was having trouble expressing it vocally only, and he needed some more physical presence in it to yeah. I don't I, know. I mean, he's he's only gotten better as he's gotten older. So oh yeah. Uh, anyway, so that's Jeff Bridges. Uh, Mia Farrow has been in. Oh, what has Mia Farrow been? She's she's one of these actresses where I recognize the name and I know that she's been a- acting for as long as as ever. But the only thing I can actually truly remember her having been in, and this is going back to like high school, was in the 1974 The Great Gatsby film. She played Daisy. Okay, then <laughs> just just take my word on that. It was it was one of those deals where you know you uh you have to watch the movie after you've read the book and. And yeah, it was Mia Farrow was in it. So I don't I don't know if there's anything else that she's been in that would. Oh, she was in uh you know she was in Supergirl the the '84 Supergirl with Helen Slater. Okay. She played uh uh Supergirl's mom, I believe, Alora Zorel. Everyone is super familiar with that movie, I'm sure. Uh, people are familiar with Alora Zorel now that there's a TV series, and do you know that the uh, that character just got recast on the TV series, and Smallville's yep. Erica Durance is going to be taking over the role. Hmm. I, 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 I've tried watching Supergirl and a few episodes, in, like, I know you really like it, but a few episodes in, I I got to a point where I'm like, I can't take any more of this episode right now. Maybe I'll get back to it and give it another shot later. Yeah. No, I, I fully admit, I love this show, and so I forgive a lot of its flaws. Well, it sounds like your feelings on Supergirl are a pretty close mirror to 60s on The Last Unicorn. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, <laughs> all right. That was Mia Farrow, somehow by way of Supergirl. <laughs> uh, so Molly grew. Molly grew was a really weird character. That like I I don't really know what her deal was. W- was she like uh, sixty? Can you explain Molly grew to me because I can't explain Molly grew to save my life. Explain her in what way? I mean, what what was what what was the how did what <laughs> explain her. <laughs> Character motivation or plot relevance? Yes. Well, I mean, I get that. I mean, it, it in the movie, it doesn't do a great job, I guess, of her motivation. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I kind of took it as... Um, I mean, she's poor as dirt. Like, she doesn't even have shoes mm-hmm. on. And she's living with these terrible bandit guys. And she's the only woman there, so that has mm-hmm. to be pretty awful. Yep. And then all of a sudden, uh, this weird magician shows up and you know, with a unicorn. And she's like, well, that's pretty cool. I'll go with him. Yeah. There you go. Motivation. <laughs> <laughs> I just... Re- like, she just seemed like she just happened to be there with the bandits. And the unicorn shows up and she just kind of flips out about the whole thing. And yeah. then decides, well, I'm coming with you because they're all chasing pretend Robin Hood. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, like, I don't know. I'd probably want to go hang out with the unicorn instead of hanging out with all the uh, bandits, I guess. I, I imagine. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. They yeah. don't really explain it that well. It, it, it was I mean, a it very... Made, it, it made sense to me because if I was her, that's what I would do. I'd be like, yeah. hell yeah, unicorn. It just it seemed like she was a little bit shoehorned in. I don't know if the book did it. Did you read the book, by the way? I didn't ask anybody. Did you read the book, 60? I have read the book. So how close is the book to the movie? Um. Well, it's been a long time since I've read the book. 
Mm-hmm. So I don't remember a lot of the specifics, but I mean, it's not that different. I mean, obviously there's stuff that's like let out, you know, left out okay. of the movie, but it, but like it's all, I mean, all of the major stuff is pretty similar. All right. So even like, even like a lot of the lines are taken straight from the book. Okay. Well, so. because the, uh, the author of the book wrote the screenplay. Yeah. I mean, it's not like it's a very long book either. So, okay. I, I, I just think was Mo- wondering, I think Molly grew was a little bit more fleshed out in the book, but yeah, it was, she uh, was, she was so abruptly adjoining the the crew it felt like the uh, the opening hour of an adventure rpg game yeah <laughs> you know like oh here's a person i met i want to join you yes no no but you must <laughs> all right fine yes thank you for letting me join you right letting my name letting is <laughs> yeah what is your name nice to meet you butt smith <laughs> i sometimes name my characters butt smith what do you want from me anyway uh yeah, she just, I, I mean, the, the character, for as abruptly as she was added and as abrasive as she was when she was initially introduced, uh, she did end up being probably one of the more endearing characters in this because I I had a hard time endearing myself to the unicorn or uh, Amalthea, who they're listed as different Amalthea. characters. But how'd they say it? Amalthea? Amalthea. Amalthea. I don't know. But yeah, I liked her better. I liked Molly Grew better than the unicorn or Amalthea. Yeah, Can that's I say one that of the right? strange yeah. things about it is... There's a just sort of a plot devicey aspect of it where everyone sort of gets fixated and entranced by a unicorn, but she is pretty much presented as so aloof that mm-hmm. to an audience perspective, it can be just like, why, why? Yeah. Just why? Like, you, you see it, and, and I mean, people don't even know she's a unicorn, so, you know, she can just kind of do her own thing. But you would think after having spoken to a unicorn, somebody would walk away going like, wow, unicorns are so pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right, so that's where where are we down the list here? Christopher Lee is King Haggard. I, so Christopher Lee, I, we've, we've talked about him a little bit already. Uh, he's, he was in Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, and that's where people will recognize him from who maybe aren't familiar with his his more heavy metalish roles and like like his metal album his her. like his metal album yeah which now now granted i don't listen to a lot of of metal music more these days i do know all the words to let it go but uh i i have listened because when i heard christopher lee had a metal album i thought well all right obviously i need to make time in my life to listen to this and it's really <laughs> good that <what laughs> drives me nuts is you have this you know this this old world war ii veteran who in his wow how old was he when he made that album in his late 80s right i think so made it make, makes a metal album if if not his 90s yeah and it's amazing it is amazing <laughs> I mean, it, Christopher Lee is a guy who's just had. A, he is the real life 007. If you look at his life, like he's like fencing, secret agent stuff. It's like movie star, mm-hmm. singer, like yeah, either 007 or Buckaroo Banzai. Pick one, one of the two. Yes, <laughs> live. I mean, veteran, secret agent, all these huge movie roles. Lives to the ripe old age of ninety three. Uh, the late. Christopher Lee, if I could accomplish about a quarter in my life of what he managed to do, I'd consider that to be pretty well accomplished. That's a quartering of what he did is more than anyone should reasonably expect. Yes, <laughs> me. It. I mean, it's insane. Like, it, I mean, when you look at his filmography, and that's like just the stuff before he came to Hollywood. That's the stuff <laughs> that full careers are made of, and that's what he did before he decided to get serious about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but he's, 
ah, insanely, insanely talented person. And it's it's a shame that when he was playing uh, Count Dooku, they couldn't give him some better material because yeah, well, yeah. I, I mean, when you look at him as Saruman, and then look at him as as Count Dooku, and and see just <laughs> the difference between the what, what you give him, you know, he can't. He's he's not fair, himself a conjurer. He cannot create good when you have him <laughs> read this line. I'm like, uh, really? To be fair, he probably had the second or third best acting presentation in those movies behind, um, yeah, I can't remember his name, playing Palpatine, who was mm-hmm. so obviously chewing the scenery and having fun, and uh, maybe Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan. Yeah, I will say as as many people are down on those movies. Ewan McGregor as Obi Wan was actually really, really charming. Yeah. yeah, even even when his dialogue was flat, he still managed to be charming while delivering it, and that's that is that's something that's difficult for an actor to do. You know, when you you I want you to sound pretentious and angry about something that the audience didn't get to see. Oh, super! <laughs> All right, I will somehow do that and still have fun. So. <laughs> So interestingly enough, as I, I was just scrolling through uh, Christopher Lee's IMDb, uh, he was in Captain America 2. Now, that would have been the 1979 Captain oh, America 2. Oh, oh, <laughs> right. Wait, I know this one. He played, was it Carlos? Miguel. Miguel. Yes. <laughs> oh. I know that because because I uh, that that was the uh, the sequel... With Reb Brown playing Captain America with his transparent shield. Yeah, the giant helmet and the uh, riding the around his motorcycle. Helmet. Yeah. Which which Captain America was it where he was stealing cars? That was that was the other series. That no, was that was the other series. That was the one in the eighties. That was the one where he kept stealing cars because he was pretending he he had to throw up. That's yeah. my favorite Captain America. D- does that twice. <laughs> twice in that movie. Th- oh. It seems like they referenced that in, uh, uh, what was it, Winter Soldier? Yeah, because he steals the car. Yeah. No, he <laughs> borrowed it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, now, Captain America being one of my favorite comic book heroes, I, I will take the good and the bad. But, uh, yeah, it's just funny that he was in that movie. He was also in the Avengers, and by the Avengers, I mean the 1960s TV series. Oh, God, <laughs> stop that! <laughs> you're, you're like sending my memory into overdrive, trying to it's like, what? How did I miss it? Damn it! Sorry, sorry, but it's not very often I have somebody who's able to be in all of these different roles that I can, <laughs> can do that setup. So I have to take advantage of it. Now I'm desperately searching while I talk now to see if there's another one I can do. But no, I can't. I think I think that... Well, he was in The Mummy. Yeah, well, he was in a lot of Hammer films, so that one's not a surprise. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. He, did, he was all the monster films. So let's see. Who, what did he play? He was The Mummy. He was Dracula. Any of the other ones he was in? He got so sick of those at one point. They, uh, He insisted that he not have any speaking lines because he didn't want to actually work for it. <laughs> And again, this was all before he came to Hollywood too. Like that's that's pretty accomplished. All right, we we could do an entire podcast on Christopher Lee, so we need to move on. Yeah, but we'll come back to Christopher Lee later if we, we need some do more stuff to talk about. An entire podcast series on Christopher Lee. You could. We could just be called Christopher Lee Talk. <laughs> just every week, you just take another week of his life and you talk about all the stuff he did, and you still like have a three-hour podcast. <laughs> Like, so this is when he saved Mars. I don't remember that. Well, just believe me, it happened. <laughs> oh, if there's anyone else, Captain Cully was Keenan Wynn, who was uh, Dr. Strangelove. Ugh. 
point blank. All right, you know what? We're not going to... Uh, I didn't even like that part. The cat, I guess that was something. Was <laughs> yeah, uh, pirate uh, cat. Don Messick played the cat. I don't remember what Don Messick was from. Apparently, looking... apparently the cat became a pirate because when they were recording the lines, he was just messing around with a bunch of different uh, accents. And everyone just was so amused by the pirate read that they kept it in. <laughs> And then animated the cat as a pirate. <laughs> right. That's actually pretty funny. Uh, yeah, so... Oh, uh, where well, was that the cat? Sorry, I was looking ahead to the skull. We're going to talk about the skull in a second. Oh, you got to talk about the skull. Uh, see, Don Messick, he played Papa Smurf. Hmm. Who was he in the... That, that oh. was the cat. The cat. The cat oh. and Papa Smurf. And Osriel. Huh. Voiced Scooby-Doo. Really? These are all roles that I think could have been played by Frank Welker. They probably were played by Frank Welker at certain points of time. <laughs> Just about any voice role has probably been played by Frank Welker at some point in time. All right, so moving on, the skull, the last person from the cast that I actually want to talk about before we talk about whatever else we're going to talk about, uh, is Rene. Oh, why did I? Rene Aubergenois. Yeah. yeah. What's he been in? Madam Secretary lately. He was. Uh, he did a voice in Avengers Assemble, the TV show. Was Odo? Was he Odo? Yeah. Odo on Deep Space Nine. Oh, man, I didn't watch Deep Space Nine. Uh, here's one that I'm really surprised you haven't mentioned, and I think in a previous Hero Talk you talked about Rene Aubergenois didn't mention it. He was the Scarecrow on the animated series, Batman the Animated Series. He was! That's right! Oh, I completely forgot about that. He was. He totally was. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in M.A.S.H., the the movie, not the TV show. Yeah. He, played, he was uh, in, what, Soap and Ben... I think he was also in Benson. Was he in Soap and Benson? I yeah. If not both, then at least yeah. at least Benson. Yeah, he's Manfred and Archer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Archer's a funny show. He was on NCIS one time, but everyone's been on NCIS one time. Uh, everyone's he, been at least one procedural of some sort. He also has voiced Pepe Le Pew a couple of times. <laughs> That's a surprise. Yeah, he was, um, he was Blockbuster in Young Justice. I'm trying to remember that one now. Yeah, Young... He was... I think he was only in, like, the first episode or the pilot hmm. but yes yeah, so he was blockbuster let's see he was um he did a bunch of voices in avatar the last airbender uh the mechanist i know he was he was the mechanist uh, he's listed there and the uh the ganjin leader wow he's done a ton of stuff for being the skull this <laughs> is uh yeah <laughs> he was also uh he had a spot on always sunny in philadelphia he was d's uh old uh theater uh yeah, teacher drama teacher yeah or drama school. teacher yeah he did uh he did a whole bunch of different voices in uh the old justice league tv series the cartoon um uh, he would kanjar Rowe, he's one of the guardians <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, general the, steppenwolf the, the super friends one yeah yeah and Desad. oh no wait not the super friend uh, wait no. is it the old old no one no the, the 2001 to 2003 justice league okay with, with Kevin I, I, I remember him being kanjar Rowe now that you mention it yeah wow he has done a ton of stuff I'm I, I'm I'm just now in awe of this guy's IMDb. Like for somebody who I'm just like, oh yeah, I guess he's a fancy actor. I'm like, wow, look at all these things he's done that I've that I've watched and I enjoyed. What a wonderful career he's had. <laughs> he was the voice of Chef Louis from the, from The Little Mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. You got two Disney connections. Yeah, uh, Doctor Burton in Batman Forever. Wow, look at him. This guy acts. <laughs> All right, I okay. Wow, I'm just I'm just kind of blown away right now. I I, I don't know what, what other little gems I'm going to find in here. You know, he was in Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country. Yeah, he was Colonel West. He certainly was. He also was uh, Sensei 
in uh, Darkwing Duck, in the episode The Secret Origins of Darkwing Duck. Is <laughs> <laughs> that also... the one where they were training in the belly pounds? I think so. It has been a long time for me to remember Darkwing Duck. I cannot believe. Holy cow, he was on a Doogie Hauser MD. <laughs> Guy got around. Also did voices for the Smurfs. <laughs> Holy cow. Um, apparently he was on the the 1980s Superman cartoon where he voiced yeah, General that's Zod. Yeah, I was asking about if it was the old one or the yeah. new one. Yeah, because he was General Zod in that. Wow. I don't think of his voice and associate that with anything that I would associate with Zod. It's it's very hard for me to associate anything other than Terrence Stamp with General Zod, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I mean, I know when uh, Michael Shannon did it and he did his thing, and I get that, but it's Terrence Stamp for me. And now I think General Zod's going to show up on Supergirl next season. Well, with Zod, now you have the choice between Neil before Zod and I will fight him! Yeah. <laughs> If I had my druthers, it'd be Neil before Zod. I, I was I was a little bit upset that he didn't actually say those lines as Michael Shannon in the movie. <laughs> I mean, the 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 general principle was there, but it's just you know I I, I just would have liked to have heard it. It's what I associate with General Zod and and, yeah. and Terrence Stamp. Well, he was in the old Wonder Woman TV series. <laughs> <laughs> this just keeps going. Wow, I cannot believe how much stuff he's been in. See, now I'm going back to, like, old stuff like the Bionic Woman and Rhoda. Remember Rhoda? I remember Rhoda. Spinoff of the Mary not. Tyler Moore Show. I, I used to watch that on Nick at Night. I don't think I ever watched Rhoda. I definitely watched the Mary Tyler Moore Show. I know I watched Mary Tyler Moore, and I'm fairly certain I watched Rhoda. Yeah. All right. I think <laughs> that's enough of this. All right. <laughs> Renee Abergenois. This episode should be subtitled, <laughs> Judge Greg Discovers Renee Abergenois. <laughs> I'm just... When we're done recording, no joke, I'm going back and I'm rereading the rest of that IMDb, because holy cow, I was just skimming. That was just going to be like, oh, I remember that the skull was a part, let's read him. <laughs> holy cow. Well, I wasn't going to let you get around with that one because of the whole scarecrow bit, if nothing yeah. else. But yeah, I mean, wow, this guy's, holy cow. All right, there was a movie we were talking about at one point in here. All right, so we're done with the cast. Uh, I don't I don't want to go on and talk about Nellie Bellflower, who played the tree, who was in Flight of the Dragons and the Return of the King. <laughs> The the other uh, the the other animated movie from Rankin and Bass. Oh. We're not, we're not going to talk about her. It, uh, I was about to ask: Was that Return of the King, the Peter Jackson one? No, no, Return of the King, the uh, the the, rank, the the other one by the same people. <laughs> she was in in that one. In fact, she played uh, Eowyn. Yeah, I thought we weren't going to talk about that. <clears throat> well, here we are. What do you what do you want? I just happened to discover somebody else who did something noteworthy in one of these films, and now and now we're done. I'm I'm closing the cast page. Cast page is closed. There, I don't have notes on the cast anymore. So uh, the the general a couple of yahoos go like running through the forest and then figure out that a unicorn must live there because what was it? Because it was everything was so green and it was lush, or I, I forget the. It was always spring there, no matter what. Yeah. yeah. So then they're they're all like, well, it's the last one. All right, see a unicorn, buy last unicorn, and they leave. And at this point, the unicorn thing's like, I'm the last one. Oh my goodness, I better find all my friends. I'm like, you're gonna believe these two? The these are the equivalent of like drunken rednecks right here of your time, <laughs> just rolling in and saying like, hey, it's always springtime. It's a unicorn. It's the last unicorn. I say as an expert non magical person, and I leave. And the unicorn takes it completely at face value. Which is fantastical enough, but then it turns out it was accurate. Like, these two guys actually had some sort of, like, secret knowledge of, of 
I mean, there are people who couldn't recognize unicorns. I mean, obviously these guys had no magical powers. They couldn't have possibly seen a unicorn. But man, they knew all about unicorns and that there was only one left. These these guys were in the know. I felt like there's some other story somewhere about their adventures. <laughs> I kind of feel like I kind of feel like you get like from from like Molly Grew where she was saying that you know when she was mad at the unicorn for not coming to her when she was young. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of feel like in this world, unicorns and unicorn mythology is well known. Is what was what that makes me feel like. So I think maybe. They know the signs of a unicorn and like you just don't have any other areas that would have evidence that there's a unicorn around or yeah. something. That's I mean, all it, I can all I can come up with for that. <laughs> I mean obviously people believe there are unicorns because when they when they went to the uh, the freak show there, they were able to I, I can't say they were able to see the unicorn, but they at least when when the fake unicorn horn was projected on, on the real unicorn by Mommy Fortuna, they they understood they were seeing a unicorn. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be something along the lines of everyone has this cultural awareness of unicorns, but they've been no one's seen or heard of one for, let's say, 40 years. It's a little bit like, can you remember what it was like before the Internet? And you have this weird sort of (laughs) fuzzy, like, you know, it was a thing, but you can't quite picture it. (laughs) Well, I had to actually memorize phone numbers. That was a thing. I knew how to use a phone book before the internet. <laughs> oh, I used to have to call theaters and like use the the punch like the Mr. Movie phone buttons to see when yeah. movies were going to play. <laughs> Don't have to do that anymore. Now I buy the ticket on my phone and in fact present my phone to the dude at the door and say, "Here, the internet says you must let me in." I gave my money to the internet. The internet <laughs> says, "Let me in." <laughs> yeah. Which is really, do they get a kick of that? How does that work? Like, does Fandango just, like, kind of get their cut and then the theater gets, like, the regular price of admission or... or... Probably. I don't know. I mean, I love that system because I my theater here has uh, the upgraded to luxury seating with assigned seats. Oh, those are great. So, yeah. So, I when I buy a ticket to a movie... I buy it a week ahead of time, and, I are, and I've already picked out my seat. If I show up two minutes before it starts, I know exactly that, where I'm going to sit. Is that one of the ones that has the leather recliners? Because those are the best. Oh, yeah. 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 With the recliners and the little tray table that, like, swivels yeah. out in front of you. Yeah, those are nice. That is where I have been watching movies for the last couple of years. Like, theaters are becoming amazing. <laughs> They got to do something to compete with your house. You have to now. I mean, you, it's it's not like you have the the you don't have the benefit of high definition anymore because people have four K TVs in their houses now, and you don't have the benefit of three D anymore because people can have three D in their house. Why I don't know, but they know they do. <laughs> uh, people have the surround sound in their houses now. I mean, the home theater experience is getting pretty close to what the theater can do, so you have to find some way to make the, make it more enjoyable other than, I just want to see the movie sooner. And so the way they're getting around it is, well, what if your feet didn't stick to the floor and the seat wasn't really flimsy? And, <laughs> you know, well, what, you what know, if we just weren't rat holes? That's what they're basically they'll able, saying. They'll be able to compete much better as soon as they start letting me come in with no pants. <laughs> I am down with the no pants theater. Yeah. Quite frankly, it saved me from getting kicked out of a lot of movies. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, hell, just speaking of of uh, uh, competing with movie theaters, uh, just just now watching the last unicorn on my modern TV, it I 
it actually looks better than it did the first time I saw the movie on a different high definition TV. But I, I am, I was actually surprised with how well the animation looked on this TV, and I'm pretty convinced that it looks better on a modern TV than it would have in the theater. Mm-hmm. I'm I don't sure know why, that. but yeah, yeah. So, anyway, so that's <laughs> speaking of which, the the last unicorn in this movie, but. Yeah, the theaters have to do something. And, like, some of them have, like, waiting staff that come through and, like, take your order now. Yeah. Some of them serve alcohol and bring it to you. I, they'll you they'll see, deliver the alcohol to you in your seat. I see that ending badly. <laughs> yeah. That's that's just where I see that going. It's like, oh, great. It's hard enough to get people not to talk during the movie when they're sober. I'm sorry, nominally sober. <laughs> But now we're just going to serve them. However, on the other hand of that, like, there are a couple of times it'd be nice if I could order a drink while I was watching a movie. But anyway. Yeah, like, I, uh, I, I'm pretty sure I don't drink, but when we when when I saw uh, uh, Alien Covenant. Oh, my God. I would have ordered cyanide. Well, that seems a little have. extreme. I would have just maybe gone the tequila <laughs> route. <laughs> you drink enough tequila, it'll have the same effect. <laughs> Uh, so anyways, uh, just a couple of notes from the movie as we as we go through. Uh, I need to ask, did either of you actually like The Butterfly? I'm going to say definitively that no one in the world who has ever seen that movie enjoyed The Butterfly. Except for possibly the author, because that was apparently supposed to be a bit of him in there. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean... he's a dingus. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it. I don't know what else to, to say. That's It, it, it was... <sighs> It's one of the, every now and then when you have somebody who's so creative and they and they have you know they're so well renowned they always there's, there has to be something about them that is just terrible that <laughs> that just brings you down or reminds you that that person can actually make terrible things you know the Joss Whedon has Alien Rev- Resurrection and the author of The Last Unicorn has the Butterfly yeah can I ask a question. What what was their end game when they got to Haggard's castle? When they, when they knew they wanted to free the unicorns, and then they they convinced Haggard to let them stay there. Um, what what was the plan at that point? I don't think they had a plan. Like you had <laughs> the unicorn who just has this idea of, well, I got to find the other unicorns, and mm-hmm. I need to save them somehow. But gives no thought as to how or even what to do when the red bull comes. Right, I like she didn't. She didn't. She didn't put any thought into that. She's like, well, I'm just gonna walk over to here where I know that this thing exists, and I know that it will come for me. But I'm not gonna have a plan for when it does. And then you have Schmendrick, who's a moron, and he doesn't know anything. And Molly Grew, who's just angry and also doesn't know anything. And nobody thought to come up with an idea of how they're gonna get the unicorns back, or what to do about the Red Bull, or what are they even gonna say to Hagger? They didn't even come up with a name for the unicorn. <laughs> beforehand when they got to the gate because like you know they're gonna be asked so like nobody thought any of this through yeah. this is my cousin unicorn <laughs> <laughs> that's what i was i was thinking is that uh schmendrick was actually pretty good at coming up with a mouthia on his feet yeah <laughs> but i mean you, it's it's a good point though it's it's you turned her into a human and like all right we'll just pretend that she's just a regular human but what, what, think... what are you doing with this woman who is clearly naked under that cloak? Um, <laughs> she's she's an illusion. <laughs> I, I I really I, now I understand when the unicorn doesn't have a plan because it, it's a horse. <laughs> but 
Schmendrick and Molly Grew probably. I mean, maybe Molly Grew. I'll let her go because she was she was a bit in awe of the unicorn. Sh- yeah, Schmendrick should have at least thought to himself, "Hey, at some point we're going to encounter the Red Bull, and it gives you wings." And, <laughs> sorry, I I needed to get that in at least one place because every time they said it, it was in my head. The oh, Red yeah. Bull, it brings you wings, but they're, they're going to encounter well, the makes, Red Bull. It do, it does make the unicorns take flight. So yes. I just don't. They didn't have any plan for when the the Red Bull shows up, and and I, quite frankly, I think Schmendrick was a uh, when when he had the idea to conjure magic in order to change her into something that the Red Bull wouldn't care about. I thought that was that's pretty good. Probably should have come up with that ahead of time instead of letting it be something that you just hail mary at the last minute and hopefully it works. You know, well, I'm actually I'm fairly certain that if the Red Bull hadn't come, they would have just walked up to the gates with the unicorn. like hello i'm here with this horse horse we would like to come inside your castle me and my horse friend and ask you questions about unicorns (laughs) well i once they got inside, it seems that their ad-libbed plan was that uh, Schmendrick was just going to try to scour the castle to find where the unicorns were hidden. Yeah. Um, and then at one point, they uh, the cat told them how to find the entrance to uh, the Red Bull's lair, which was then guarded by the skull, which they... Now, this was mean. When they gave the skull the empty wine bottle and told... I understand that the skull doesn't know the difference because it has no eyes and it can't taste, but... <laughs> There's a little something called integrity. <laughs> it asked for wine. Go get him some wine. I mean, come on. What, what do you What do you care? It's. It seems like Molly has access to the entire, you know, well, the entire say, kitchen. They did say she said she, either either her there or Schmender, no One of them there. said they said they looked everywhere and couldn't find any wine. Oh, did they say okay? Yeah, they did say that. Did they have grape juice? Or they had potatoes, which means there's vodka. <laughs> There's vodka. Hagrid does seem more like a vodka guy than a he wine does. Guy. If I if I had to ping him for it, I'd say he was he was a vodka drinker. I, I just thought that was mean, but that, that really then what? Let's see, was it you had to like walk through a clock to get to the Red yeah. Bull's lair? Yeah, yeah that, which is like the worst security system ever. It's just like an illusory wall. Yeah, yeah. So like the first time somebody goes like, "Huh, that's a little off." Let me just advance it one minute. You're gonna find yourself in the Red Bull's lair. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not like there's a lot of people wandering around because the entire court is four men at arms that we never see. Unless yeah. the four men at arms were uh, Haggard, Lear, the cat. No, the four, the four men at arms were their combined arms. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I... I don't know if that's if in the book it was actually where the, was it actually just the four men at arms or would, did they really just their thing? Do you really want to animate all these people? No. All right. So let's just say there's only four of them. There you go. Yeah, and we'll never show them. Yeah, they, they, we won't show them. But there's four of them. They're in here somewhere. You don't worry about it. Don't well, worry the big about castle. It. You know. Yeah. I, I gotta I gotta give a quick point out that when Schmendrick changed the unicorn into the lady, that he said he was going to change her form, and then he does. And then uh, Molly gets pissed. Yeah, Molly says, do something. Well, I can do this. Do something. He does it. Why did you do that, you <laughs> idiot? <laughs> yeah, I, I, he did get a lot of flack for doing that, even though, quite frankly, uh, nothing it's else would have worked. the only thing that would have worked. <laughs> yeah. 
what else did you want him to do? Change the Red Bull into something? I wonder if he could have. That would have been better. That would have been a better idea, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to change the Red Bull into some dude. <laughs> it's an angry dude. Yeah, and be like, hey, dude, stop. That's, what, like, <laughs> your opinion, man. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I just... When when they got... I got so lost after they got to the castle. It's like, I'm, I'm wondering, like, what's advancing the story? And my mind was still blown by that cutting potatoes thing. And... <laughs> I I was just really kind of lost as to what was advancing the plot. And the next thing I know, they're being chased by the Red Bull, and I remember thinking, I, li- I have literally no idea how this happened. <laughs> well, I don't even understand, like, what, what Molly Gru's situation was there, because I know, like, Schmendrick was trying to keep Haggard occupied, right. you know, so, so they could look for the Red Bull's lair, I guess, mm-hmm. with no plan of what to do, again, no plan of what to do when they found it. I, I think the hope was that maybe it still didn't care that they were just these measly humans. Yeah, but then, like, the unicorn is losing her sense of herself, right? Like, mm-hmm. she's she's in the human body, and she keeps forgetting, like, what she is or why she's there. And instead of, you know, helping her, Molly Grew just ignores that and encourages Lear to court her for yeah. some reason. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I guess because reasons? Uh, well, I, I think it, it wasn't so much she wanted Lear to court her. She just wanted Lear to stop being such a whiner. Yeah, he was a whiner. <laughs> like, just stop whining and learn to cut potatoes. It's not hard. <laughs> I, also, I also like, he's like, this is the only woman I've ever seen in my entire life. Therefore, I'm in love with her. Why Why doesn't she like me? <laughs> I keep murdering things for her, and and, and it's not working. What do I do? <laughs> yeah, didn't he at one point go out and just kill a dragon? Just he just to... kills a dragon just just because. Right, yeah. And he brings the head to her, and she just kind of looks at him, and then turns away and doesn't it's, say anything. It reminds me of, like, when the dog goes out and, like, kills a squirrel and brings it back. Yeah. It's like, I brought a gift for the family. It's a squirrel head. Oh, thank you for this. That's <laughs> what I wanted. Severed bloody head. Yeah, but that's, that was his plan. It was the exact that's, same plan. That's what women love. Women. Mm-hmm. That's how. That's how you get women. Go to the bar. Well, yeah. Severed well, men are dogs. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? In, to be fair to him, well, he's only ever met that one woman. There are certain women who would be totally impressed and be totally on board with that if he like brought like I killed a dragon for you. Like, wow. I'm sure that's there a, are. Yeah. I mean, he didn't know his audience, I think, is what we're really trying to say. Yeah. Um, I'll write her a terrible poem. That'll work. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah, Jeff Bridges can't sing here. (laughs) I'm sorry, but that singing was pretty bad. It must have been intentionally bad. I want to say I've heard Jeff Bridges sing, and and he's not that bad. He's probably had some coaching between then and, and Crazy Heart. Maybe did he was he actually doing the singing in Crazy Heart? I can't remember. I don't know, but I would. I'm I'm just guessing. I sometimes assume, but then I I do remember hearing stories about uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou and George Clooney wanted to sing in Oh Brother Where Art Thou, and they got maybe one take, and they said, "You know what, George? No, <laughs> no, we're gonna go ahead and bring in somebody else. Why don't you take a breather?" But to his credit, I also heard George Clooney heard the playback and said, yep, you're right. I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit like uh, Nightmare Before Christmas when it's it's really jarring when I recognize Danny Elfman is doing the singing bits for Jack Skellington. Yeah. Yeah, he does a good job with that, though. Oh, yeah. Well, Danny Elfman's a singer. No, he's he, Danny Elfman is a very, very talented musician. And anyway, So at the end of The Last Unicorn... It, I kind of, I kind of got this like this 
Wizard of Oz moment where they, it was, you had the power in you all along when the unicorn turns to the Red Bull and just decides, <laughs> now I'm going to drive you back. Well, that's a nifty little trick you could have pulled out about two-thirds of a movie ago. Yeah, yeah that's... that's I just now realized that I'm a powerful, magical creature yeah. and could do something about this. <laughs> Maybe I could try fighting yeah. back. As it turns out, I have magic unicorn powers. <laughs> Well, it's funny because it, earlier in the movie, she she fends off the harpy in the same way. Right. But, like, doesn't think to do that to the bull for whatever reason. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's why when I saw the bit with the harpy, I thought that, that it was a weirdly animated dodge. Yeah, um, it like... was. I, I watched it more than once to try to kind of, because I got a little lost in what happened. That just struck me as very odd and then very bittersweet because... Uh, I really, what happens to Prince Lear after that? Because he doesn't seem like the kind of person who's emotionally mature enough to move on after his, <laughs> yeah. his girlfriend becomes a unicorn. I just... well, also, he died. <laughs> right. And then was brought back to life and he seemed like, okay, you know. Wait a minute. Uh, I was like dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, yeah, he, I mean, this is this is one of those points where I think that there's a lot of interesting elements that aren't quite put together in a good way, narratively speaking, because this is where the whole, oh, she was a human and started to forget that she was a, a unicorn. And after some other stuff in that terrible duet, she she and Lear start falling for each other. And and then she becomes a unicorn again and then sees Lear die, someone whom she still has or remembers having had feelings for, and that got her to actually get past what appears to be a unicorn's uh, tendency to be pacifistic to a fault and say, oh, there, there's something to do here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, whatever gets you there, I guess. But it, it just seemed like something that it, it's not often that you were carrying Chekhov's gun the entire movie. <laughs> Like, oh, check it out. I had a gun this whole time. It was very Wizard of Oz for me. Like, oh, you had the power to beat the Red Bull this whole time. Oh, well, that would have been helpful there, unicorn. Thanks. You know, maybe the, the thousands of the unicorns in the ocean, they could have tried to overwhelm him at some point. Right. Like, you know what? That it, really it struck being, me. It sucks being in this water. Should we do anything about it? Nah. <laughs> yeah, but the bull's up there, and and he's just gonna like get all aggressive, and I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unicorns yeah. are lazy. Yeah. I'm surprised this one even just bothered walking across the land to try to find their friend. I'm the last one. Well, how about that? <laughs> oh well, I got stuff to do. I'm trapsing around my woods that I care so much about. I wonder what her woods were like when she got back. Like, did those hunters come back and clean house? Just everything was dead. Yeah, just everything. <laughs> I just were like, we got the unicorn to leave, man. It was open season. Apparently there were even dodos in the in the unicorn's wood. Were there? Did they show any? Yeah, when, uh, in the group of animals that were, like, gathered to say goodbye, she was leaving. Well, those dodos are definitely dead when she gets back. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're gone. Yeah, in fact, I bet they just burned the forest to the ground just to... <laughs> just and salted the earth, just to prove a point. <laughs> and Man just... versus nature, the path to victory. That's right. Like, we're just going to teach you a lesson in complacency. <laughs> well, that took a dark ending. So with that, I don't hey, think well, I have a... You want, you want more darkness? Here's a reference. Is the, right. uh, the animation of the unicorns coming out make me think of Watership Down sequence when the rabbits are getting poisoned and whatnot that is like dark. trapped why, on the ground why are you bringing that into this <laughs> what are you trying to do right. no we're moving on moving on 
Now is the time on Hero Talk where we talk about what our favorite parts of the movie were. And Nick, I'm going with you. You're first. What was your favorite part? I'm going to have to say my favorite part. Like, if you can't just say the animation in general, I would say my favorite part is going to be uh, uh, King Haggard's speech talking about um, remembering seeing a unicorn for the first time. Mm. And uh, it, 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 it informs that he is someone who is suffering from severe depression, like nothing makes him happy. And the experience of actually feeling happy made him feel like he was going to die. So there, it, it's just a character building moment and it has some subtlety to it, some depth to it. And it was delivered by Christopher Lee. It, it, it's hard to get past Christopher Lee, but, and, and for reference, you, you could have made it the animation. That's fine. There's no actual rules here. You, you just, we just kind of wing it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. If it, the, the animation would probably have been my runner up. All right. Uh, and, it, both of those are fine points. Uh, 60, what was your favorite part of The Last Unicorn? Um, well, I'd have to say, uh, especially bringing it back to my childhood, uh, growing up on this movie, was that, like, most of the cartoons when I was a kid, like, if you were going to watch cartoons, especially as a girl, like, all you had was, like, Disney princesses, you know? And I was never really into the Disney princesses and everything, but then this movie came along, and, like, it was like, there are women characters in the movie that have agency and, you know, are fleshed out a bit and are flawed, but also have, you know, strengthened them. And I really enjoyed that. It meant a lot to me as a kid growing up, like, um, to see this movie. And there were women portrayed there that were a lot different than the other cartoons that I had watched, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's what I appreciate that a lot about this movie. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Um, let's see. Now it's my favorite part. I guess I have to go with the only part that stuck with me for the last shoot 30 plus years is the potato cutting scene it's just good advice when you cut cut away from your hand not towards it so that is my favorite part uh my favorite part is the potato cutting scene had to be something all right now we're gonna go ahead and and give this movie a score and as i am wont to do at the point where we score movies i want to remind the listening audience that review scores are dumb and they don't matter you need to just let it go let it go. The cold never bothered me anyway. <laughs> All right. So, Nick, what would you score The Last Unicorn? I would give The Last Unicorn the last of the red hot swamis. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That, since we hadn't explained it, I will explain the joke. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to let him Since we hadn't mentioned him it, it was, the, was the title that Schmendrick introduced himself by at one point. <laughs> Uh, I, I was going to let people Google it, honestly. All right, 60, what, what, what would you score The Last Unicorn? I give it four out of five pacifist potatoes. Four out of five pacifist potatoes. I would give The Last Unicorn The Last Unicorn. Okay. I'm just going to go meta. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's that was The Last Unicorn. Uh, now we have time for final thoughts, if we have any. Uh, I don't have any, so I'm just going to go ahead and pass. Uh, Nick, <laughs> any final thoughts? Um, well, I've been working on, I mentioned it in, uh, behind the line radio recently. There is a project that I've been working on for Enthusiac's YouTube channel that should be going up in a couple of weeks. I've been working pretty hard on it and I, I hope it is at least mildly amusing. It will involve in an unexpected way many of the other people from Enthusiac. So yep. uh, I, I won't quite tip on exactly what it is, but, um, yeah. All right, and uh, whenever that goes up, I will add the link to that into the show notes for this episode on Enthusiacs.com. And 60, do you have any final thoughts? I do not. 
That's fair. So that was the last unicorn, and I'm glad that one's done. And I I don't even want to know what the next one we're going to do is, because that was the last unicorn. But in the meantime, I just want to thank Nick and Sixty. Thanks for coming back on Hero Talk. Anytime. Yep. There you go. <laughs> you never sound excited at this part, 60. You're like, whatever. <laughs> anyway, all right. So Nick, 60, thank you very much. If you want to hear any more content from Enthusiacs.com, uh, just check out Enthusiacs.com where you'll find uh, other articles, reviews, interviews, and my sister podcast, Behind the Line Radio, hosted by Nick and Baron Fang, also the host of the Point Streak Podcast. For more of our videos, you can check out YouTube. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Enthusiacs. And until next time, this is Judge Greg saying, there are no happy endings because nothing ends. All right. One of these days, 60, you should actually see how this goes when I'm being professional. <laughs> <laughs>